Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online has you covered for all the sports scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans. I'm your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Today, we have a very special guest in Delonra Ellis, who is a uh, dear friend and uh, a wonderful person. She is the vice president and general counsel of the Oakland, Oakland Athletics and is a Stanford Law School grad. Uh, she's a very special person. Uh, so happy that she's on the show with us today. This is for episode 17 of season three of the podcast. So Delonra, just want to welcome you in and welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, thanks, Delonra. So first question I have for you is, how did you get your start into sports? I know we've done a panel together before, and I was so fascinated with uh, your pathway in, in terms of uh, how you got to where you are today. So um, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and where you grew up and what your favorite baseball team was and all that good stuff. Absolutely. So I grew up in Richmond, California, which is in the Bay Area, uh, in the East Bay, and I grew up rooting for the Oakland A's. Um, my dad used to always joke that his only parenting failure was that I was an A's fan and not a Giants fan, because he grew up in San Francisco loving the Giants. So always had a, like intense love for baseball and for the Oakland A's. I will not totally age myself, but um, I was uh, young and impressionable when people like Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and Ricky and Dave Stewart were kind of doing their thing in Oakland. So it was hard not to be a real lover of that team. Um, in terms of my career, I um, went to Stanford, like you mentioned. I did what um, many folks do when they are faced with the prospect of six figures worth of law school debt. And I went to a large firm. I was a general litigator for the first five years at that firm. It was a firm called Howard Rice, um, which was merged with Arnold and Porter in, I wanna say 2010. Um, but before then uh, it was a great firm. And one of the clients that it worked with a bunch was actually the Oakland Raiders. And I didn't do a lot of work on Raiders Matters, but it was the first time that I had ever kind of touched um, uh, this sports law world. It was on a case that the Raiders were involved in um, where they were adverse to the city of Oakland. And I joined um, actually as a summer associate when they were moments away from trial in that case and got to work on some motions in limine, which was really interesting. So that was my first kind of little foray, but my real goal back then, frankly, was to learn as much as I could and to, you know, deal with some of the crushing law school debt. So 
uh, did that for five years and uh, got to that point in a firm practice where you kind of have to decide, do you want to be at a law firm and do you want to make partner and all of the things that come along with that developing business? Or are you better suited for other types of practice? Um, and at that point, I decided that I really wanted to try working in-house. And it was really fortunate that I was able to get a position at Gap Inc., uh, the clothing company that also operates Gap, Old Navy, Athleta, um, Intermix. At a time, it operated an online business called Piper Lime uh, and of course, Banana Republic. So I worked with them in their brand services group, which touches everything that is client facing. Uh, so everything from working with people who design clothes, working with the marketing team, working with the folks who can control the website, anything that a consumer sees, the brand services team really worked directly with all of the people in the organization who made that happen. We did have a number of um, kind of athletic, um, uh, uh, like partners in that. So for example, um, Old Navy uh, during the Olympics would have uh, licensed um, product from the Olympics, uh, from the USOC. We had um, all of the leagues would do deals with Old Navy. And so I started getting a little bit of exposure to some of those partnership deals while I was there. And I supported Athleta, um, which is a women's sportswear brand. Um, and so that was always very kind of athlete adjacent because they had a number of, um, you know, models who were professional sport or in professional sports or semi-professional sports. So that was kind of a big um, part of my work there. Um, and while I was there, I had the opportunity to meet um, Jack Bear, who is the general counsel of the Giants. And uh, we became kind of friendly over time. And um, I, uh, you know, kept in touch with Jack just because I, you know, thought he was great and was super, super interesting, um, was always curious about his practice, was always curious about what it meant to be a lawyer in baseball. Um, I left Gap to go to Aspire Public Schools, uh, where I was the general counsel. Uh, it is a charter school organization that uh, at the time ran 40 schools in California and in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was on a business trip in Memphis and I got a call from Jack and he said, uh, Delonra, the A's are looking, they're not gonna publicly post it, but if you're interested, I would be happy to put you in touch with them. And uh, needless to say, my heart soared and I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm, I'm totally interested. Uh, so I did my best to you know, keep my expectations low, um, but on my, I think maybe my second round of interviews, I had you know, the GM was on my list and our head of stadium operations was on our list and our team president was on my list. And I thought to myself, oh, this seems like it's going pretty well. So, um, you know, gave it my best shot and here I am. Wow. No, that's awesome. And I, I love, um, I love the particular, I mean, the entire story was great, Delonra, but the one thing that really stood out to me too, was, uh, your role with gap. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's so interesting because gap is all about the brand, right? It's all about what product are we selling all that. And I can imagine that that role really helped prepare you from the brand aspect of the Oakland A's. And 
you know, absolutely, right? Big time. And I would say two things. One, really understanding like what it means to have a brand and what it means to like care for that brand and be a shepherd of that brand. Because, you know, as a lawyer, that informs all sorts of things, informs your risk analysis, it informs how you engage in certain negotiations. So that was like really just from like what it means to be a good client service oriented lawyer, being at Gap was incredible. It was incredible because the general counsel of Gap at the time, a woman named Michelle Banks is, is and was, was and is just an unbelievable leader. So I really felt like I learned about what it means to be excellent um, as an in-house counsel and in particular in the role of general counsel. Um, and you know, it was a real opportunity to be a kind of generalist within the in-house environment. I mean, I literally did everything from manage trademark portfolios in Japan to, um, you know, I took a big uh, trademark case involving Old Navy to trial. Um, you know, I worked, I had patent troll cases, I negotiated, you know, all sorts of vendor agreements. It was just a really, really broad range. And I know not everybody gets that experience in-house, but when you move from an in-house environment at a, at a big company into an in-house environment at a smaller company, like a sports team, being able to play in all of those different um, areas is actually really important just because there aren't as many of you. And Gap really fostered a really um, kind of collaborative environment, which I appreciated. I mean, even as somebody who was largely focused on brand centric work, you know, we worked for example, with the employment team when a trade secret issue came up that meant that I learned a little bit about employment law and that's stuff that I continue to use now um, in my day-to-day -day practice with the A's. Wow. No, and, and I totally see all your points on that one. Um, and even, even the role with Aspire Public Schools, right? Because there you're, you're public facing and not, not that Gap isn't, but it's different, right? Because it's a product, that's a brand, whereas Aspire is more about like you know, sort of helping the public and assisting the public. And the A's are in that, in that sort of category too with the community aspect. And I'm sure you deal with that as well. Not to mention the fans, right? So For sure. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, gosh. absolutely. I mean, Aspire, the, the way that I would kind of liken Aspire to the A's is in, they're both kind of in some ways more service oriented, right? Gap, you're right. We are definitely providing a product you know, Aspire, what you're talking about is providing education and people are actually pretty sophisticated consumers of education and they have strong opinions about the kind, quality, type, et cetera, of education that their students are getting. You know, we have a sophisticated fan base who is very, you know, kind of particular about the type of experience that they have in, all, in our ballpark. So a lot of those same skills um, have been transferable. And then there's all the, you know, kind of normal stuff that happens, right? If you are in an organization that runs 40 schools, you can bet that you're gonna deal with real estate issues. Um, but some of the same skills that I learned uh, in working on you know, financing, leasing, et cetera, for all of the buildings that our um, schools were in have been very important in the work that we're doing at Howard Terminal. Wow. Yeah, no, and, and so kind of, it's a, it's a good transition point. So your current role with the athletics, you know, and it's, we kind of talked about this during our panel a little bit um, that we had, but it's interesting because I think from the standpoint that, um, you know, in your role as vice president, general counsel for the Oakland Athletics, you have this idea that 
you know, or people have this idea that, okay, well, you know, general counsel just works on contracts for players all day long. And the reality of it is, right, it's, it's completely different than that. Um, you somehow, in some way, you're kind of a generalist because all those experiences that we've just talked about, you have to bring into play. And then, of course, um, you're having to deal with, you know, I imagine, uh, slip and fall things. But to tell, and, and, of course, anything, you know, branding or any sort of sponsorship or advertising that goes on, um, you're probably working with outside counsel on any litigation. But maybe tell us a little bit about, um, about your role with the A's and kind of what are some of the things that you come across? Absolutely. I mean, it is definitely a generalist position. And um, it was funny, I was in the supermarket the other day, and one of the um, uh, young people who was bringing up my groceries was talking to somebody else. And he was like, I just really want to be a lawyer for a team. And I was like, tell me more about that. Um, what do you think they do? Because I'm always so curious about how people, you know, perceive the position. And he was kind of like, who is this crazy woman who's checking her groceries out? And I was like, oh, yeah, I do that for the A's. And then he was like, oh, my God. Um, so it's kind of, um, it is it is interesting that the perception of what lawyers who are in-house for sports teams are, is very much, I would say, influenced by, you know, Jerry Maguire and other kind of popular culture references. You know, it turns out, um, because players are unionized, um, as the vast majority of their contracts are actually negotiated at the kind of league player association level, right? There's only kind of a small number of special covenants that get negotiated at the team level. And that doesn't even happen for every player. It's a subset of players who have that happen. So while I definitely think that work is interesting um, and it can be a highlight to say, oh, I got to work on this particular player's agreement. Uh, it's definitely not the majority of my work. Um, we run a business. And so, you know, fundamentally kind of, we are a business, we are business lawyers and we have lots of vendors. We have lots of partners. All of those have uh, commercial agreements that we work on um, from time to time. Like every business, we have grumpy employees. Those can be employment issues. Um, certainly, uh, you know, we have a ballpark that we currently play in. We have office space. Um, we are working on a real estate development. So there's a huge part of our practice that's related to real estate and land use. Um, you know, every day has a lot. And then, you know, there's something else which I actually think people don't talk about enough, which is most general counsels in-house are part of an executive leadership team. And they're really called on, you know, as, as part of a small group of people who are helping to influence the direction of the organization. So even things that aren't necessarily legal in nature, like, you know, how will we return back to the office after COVID are things that you as a lawyer are, are called to weigh in on. Things like, you know, how do we want to, communicate an issue when it is kind of sticky or when there's a, you know, crisis communications piece to it, all of those things you get called into, even if you're not worried about, you know, taking an action that is legal or illegal, but because people really want, you know, your, to, to utilize you and to take advantage of, of your judgment as part of the leadership team. Right. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, the, the sort of come back to the office thing. I mean, that's a huge issue that, I had a friend that worked for a team and another baseball team. And I remember uh, chatting with this person and it was so funny because it was like, they basically spent the entire 
2020 putting together a packet for how to return to the office or, or how to basically even just manage the, the staff or the team, you know, during the pandemic. So I can imagine all those issues. And then all of a sudden you're bringing in fans and um, you know, how that's all going to play out. Right. I mean, so I'm sure you've put a lot of work into just preparing for that. Oh, absolutely. And we are incredibly fortunate in that we have, I think, truly some of the best folks in baseball working with us. David Renetti, who's been with the team for, I think, nearly 40 years. You know, there's nobody who knows that building better than he does. So when we got all the guidelines from the state about how best to move forward, you know, our team works very, very closely with his team because I, you know, I can say, here's what the guideline says, but those are the teams that will actually really know how to make that work in our stadium. So it's, you know, but, but because we have such a good relationship, he's, you know, interested in hearing how I interpret the guidelines, you know, he'll tell me how to make it work. We'll figure out what is the right way to make it happen. But it's, I think everybody um, spent an extraordinary amount of time in 2020 thinking about return to work, return to play, how to do so safely. And, you know, there was not a one size fits all response for many reasons, but largely because there was state guidance, but there was also local guidance. So you couldn't even necessarily say, you know, I couldn't call Sam Fernandez from the Dodgers and say, hey, Sam, what are you guys doing in LA? Because my public health officer in Alameda County might've had a completely different perspective on some of those issues. So there are ways in which you could kind of learn from your peers, but there are also ways where you had to really know what was going on in your local jurisdiction. And I think, you know, one of the things that some of the more effective GCs often do is they try to build those relationships. Like it's important that I have a relationship with the public health department um, so that when these things come up, we can work together and they know that we are going to prioritize, um, you know, this, the safety of our employees and our fans and we can work towards solutions that really work for everybody. So it's been, you know, a, a core part, I think, of this role is to really, you know, understand who your stakeholders are, both internally and externally. Right, right. No, really good points. And, you know, and it's so interesting too, you brought up the, um, the stadium development. I mean, that's something, well, two, two things about the A's, right, is that um, I think you guys have won nine world championships. I think it's nine, right? Um, I, yes, if you include Philly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Philadelphia Athletics with Connie Mack. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, but, you know, and it, it's so cool because the organization's had so much success from, um, and even I wouldn't, we obviously wouldn't call Oakland a small market, but it's not like San Francisco, right? It's, it's not, you know, Los Angeles or New York, but um, it, it is so cool how much success the organization's had such a great history. And then, of course, the other thing is with the stadium, right? And that's been such a, and I'm so glad that, um, you know, you're, you're sort of on the team with those efforts to get that going too. And I don't know how much you can talk about it, but that is, uh, it's such a fascinating topic, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is super, super interesting. Um, and as somebody who's from the East Bay, frankly, a real point of pride for me to be able to work on the project um, and to be able to, you know, work, you know, with a team of people who are doing their best to bring a, like world-class, architecturally significant ballpark to the city of Oakland. You know, talk about 
you know, kind of pinch myself cool. Like I, I love it. Um, I think, you know, we have, we play uh, in the Coliseum now, which for those of us who have been fans forever um, has its charm, uh, but it's certainly not, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably outlived its, its natural life. It's been rocking for 50 plus years now. Um, right. So yeah, so it is, you know, in, um, it, it is, you know, probably past its prime. Uh, right. And we have been, you know, there are lots of public reports about, you know, oh, are we going to move? And at one point many years ago, conversation about potentially moving to San Jose, that was before my time. Conversations about moving to Fremont, also before my time. Um, and in the last, I would say, you know, four-ish years, really since 2016, 2017, we've been really, really focused on how we can move forward in partnership with the city of Oakland to develop a ballpark in Oakland. Um, and we have literally kind of in all the years that we have been talking about a ballpark project, this is the closest that we've ever been. Uh, so it's just really, really exciting. We have um, a term sheet with the Port of Oakland uh, that uh, the, uh, the port actually owns the land that we have identified as uh, where we'd like, we'd like the bar ballpark project to be. So that is kind of going swimmingly. Um, you know, we are in kind of conversations with the city of Oakland. Um, we just released, uh, probably not just, maybe about a month ago now, the draft environmental impact report for the project. Um, which is, you know, in and of itself, kind of a really Herculean effort. Um, and so I, I'm, you know, really feeling pretty optimistic. Nobody expected that there would be a pandemic in the middle of that. Uh, and that is a big deal for a number of reasons, including, um, you know, you, you remember March of last year, no one even knew what pandemic meant, let alone what it meant for real estate projects or, you know, what it meant for, um, you know, public meeting requirements or anything else. So we spent a lot of time getting smart about this kind of new pandemic world that we were in. But I am super, super optimistic about the project um, and really proud of all of the work that has gone in to get us where we are now. Right. Yeah. And I'd say as a, as a sort of bystander, as somebody who's watching this and seeing it, this sort of current plan and situation and the people that are in play, including yourself, seems to be the best team ever assembled and the best project ever assembled, you know, in terms of like outlook and prospect of it going forward. I mean, I've, you know, usually there was always something that was holding it back or some issue, but it's almost as if um, of all the bad things that sort of happened with the pandemic, one of the things that's been great about it is that you can kind of take it, take sort of a step back and, and you can sort of reevaluate plans and uh, solidify plans and change the way you approach things. And I think that's been one of the benefits of, um, you know, of, I, I guess you could say of the pandemic is that it's been able for you to sort of sit back and refocus maybe some things, but so that's, it's fantastic. I'm really excited about that for you and, um, would love to visit that venue. One of my big things has been to travel to the different ballparks and to see all of them. So, uh, I'll look forward to visiting that one. What number are you on? So oh, good question. So I just went to uh, Dallas, Texas, and I saw the, uh, um, Globe Life Field um, with uh, with Katie, you know, who we had on the panel. Yep. And then um, it's going to be interesting because, first of all, beautiful ballpark. 
uh, amazing. So I think that's number 21. Oh, very so, good. So I still got, and of course now I kind of have to backtrack, right? Cause the Mets got a new one. Uh, you know, the twins got a new one. <laughs> so <laughs> there's been like an influx of new ballparks, but I'll have to go in and check them out. So, um, so last question for you, Delonra. And again, everybody, we have Delonra Ellis on the, on the uh, podcast today. Uh, she is the vice president and general counsel of the Oakland, Oakland athletics. So um, last question, Delonra is, so what do you kind of see as the, the sort of future of entertainment media and sports? What are some things that you kind of see on the horizon, you know, whether it be for the A's or just, you know, entertainment and sports in general? Yeah. So I would say in the near term, um, one thing that COVID did is it accelerated the timeline for a lot of like digital product product initiatives. Um, we, like many other teams, had wanted to go to mobile tickets, for example, for years, but didn't do it because we were worried about, you know, is our fan base going to be receptive? Um, you know, do we have the technology to make it work? Are people going to feel confident enough about it? Is our Wi-Fi strong enough? Um, you know, there's obviously thinking a lot about concessions. You know, people got used to doing things like, you know, deciding that they were hungry, looking at their phone, you know, finding the restaurant that they wanted and having delivery and having all of that, you know, happen within a 40 minute period. So it kind of begs the question, well, what can we do at our venues? And California, anyway, at least um, with some of its initial guidance, really pushed us to think about that. You know, we went to completely digital tickets. We went to a concessions program where you can order food online um, on your phone. These are things that had like literally never happened before. And uh, while there were certainly some hiccups and it is gonna take some time operationally to get them up and running, I think in the near term, you're gonna see a lot of the kind of COVID specific initiatives uh, outlast COVID because I think people will like them. Um, I think it was never anybody's favorite part of a game to wait in line on a crowded concourse for three hours. You know, that was never anybody's favorite thing. So, or three innings. Um, so I think in the near term, it'll be interesting, but I think you're going to see a lot of kind of COVID specific innovations really outlast COVID. And with all of those things, you know, digital ticketing, digital concessions, et cetera, we're actually gonna learn a lot more about fans. We're gonna learn a lot more about fans. We're gonna learn a lot more about demand. We're gonna learn a lot more about how they utilize the ballpark. All of those things will be huge. Um, so that is definitely type, top of mind. Um, you know, there's nobody who's not paying attention to sports betting. Um, super, super interesting to see what's going on in Arizona with um, the new sports betting um, uh, laws, which allow sports bettings in professional sports venues in addition to mobily, which is pretty incredible. I think all of us thought we were gonna learn a lot about sports betting in 2020, um, probably learn less than we thought we were going to just because 2020 was such a kind of funky year for sports, way fewer games, um, you know, different kind of fan engagement with games. So I think that is definitely something that people are hoping to learn more about, um, uh, good, bad, and in between. Um, but it is definitely top of mind. And, you know, I think all of us, uh, and this has been a theme for a long time, 
are, you know, in this world of, you know, the, the different ways which are constantly expanding that people receive content. I think trying to figure out all of how we can utilize all those different channels is also really important. Um, whether it is, you know, streaming services, you know, Twitch, TikTok, et cetera. You know, the number, the, the platform of the day changes all the time. Uh, and I think we have to stay really nimble to make sure that we can continue to access all of those. So lots of stuff coming up. Um, and, you know, in, in a world where there is so much content, there will be a battle to stay relevant and exciting. I think, you know, the Padres have done something really special with um, uh, Fernando Tatis to get a lot of fan engagement. It'll be really interesting to see how they uh, capitalize on that over time. And, you know, I think um, trying to figure out how to um, really kind of continue to engage fans, get fans in the ballpark when there is so much demand uh, for people's time and attention. Right. You know, Delano, it's so fascinating, you know, info on all of that. And I think there's a theme that I'm kind of seeing with regard to sports teams in general. And I think it's that the the sort of, I guess, agenda has, or like the, the team agenda has changed from fans come to us and fans can engage with what we've sort of put on and sort of, you know, that's stand, you know, sort of stood the tradition of time. That's sort of like the sort of old model. And I think the new model is let's meet fans where they're at and let's bring fans what they want and constantly changing and looking for news, new ways to connect with people, new ways to get them to engage. Do you kind of think, is that kind of how you see this too? I think that's totally right. And it's, you know, it's interesting because we were talking a little bit earlier about some of the parallels that I have between my current job and my former jobs in other industries. And I would actually say the same thing about education. Um, you know, people are trying to figure out how to meet students where they are instead of just being like, here's the product that we have. You will learn math in this way. Um, and I think as we get in these types of businesses, which are really kind of service oriented rather than kind of product oriented, you are seeing that um, in every industry because I think you have to play there in order to stay relevant. Right. No, really good point. Uh, and I think as to, to, your, to your terrific point about the pandemic really kind of speeding up digital, um, I think also it's moved up this idea of Re, you know, like reconnecting with fans or connecting with fans in a different way, um, which is something that maybe would have taken longer, you know, mm -hmm. had we not been there. Um, so Delonra, you've been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Uh, again, everybody, this is Delonra Ellis. She is the vice president and general counsel of the Oakland Athletics. So thank you again, Delonra. Always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, looking forward to hopefully seeing you uh, or at least uh, talking with you soon. Absolutely. Let me know when you make it to Oakland. Will do. Will do. Thanks, Delonra. Thanks, Jerry. Right, no, my pleasure. All right, folks. So this has been uh, episode 17 of uh, season three and uh, look forward to being back with you next week.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.